Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome Austin Smith, who is co-founder and CEO of Mission Control, which is a platform that enables Rec League esports. He's going to talk a lot about how brands can effectively engage the esports ecosystem, and he also has experience on the VC side of things, both as a fund with Stadia Ventures and a lot of advice for startups. Let's talk to Austin. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. It is my pleasure to welcome, I think I can say longtime friend now. It's probably fair to call it, man, yeah. Yeah, longtime friend, Mr. Austin Smith of Mission Control. Welcome to the show, my friend. John, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk about mission control and how we're building community in esports. Absolutely. So the guests who are my friends, I always like to give a little bit of background of how the two of us met. I'm very blessed to have a robust network. And one of those people is our guest today, Austin Smith. So I want to say, like everybody else I've met <laughs> in business and esports is when I was at GameStop. And we had the opportunity to collaborate with Mission Control where you were, or I'm sorry, Stadia Ventures where you were at before uh, Mission Control. And, you know, I think it was just the result of good people getting together with common goals. And then you had a vision uh, for this new venture and we stayed tightly connected. We've had a lot of conversations, helped connect each other with with great people. So why don't you kick it off for the audience? How did Mission Control get started? Yeah, so the the story of Mission Control goes all the way back to, I mean, 2015 is the first time we used the term Mission Control. And this is just my brother and I messing around saying, hey, this is, we want to play video games, but we want to play it together and just, you know, bring a whole bunch of friends together. Let's go to like a movie theater and I'll play one game on giant big screen. But that idea and Mission Control where it comes from actually comes from much before that, which is just simply growing up like many of us playing video games was how we spent time together. This is how I spent time with my brother or with my friends playing COD zombies, (laughs) literally hours and hours and hours for us video gaming was not just something that we like to do, but something that specifically was something to do with friends. And it brought us closer together with those friends. Mm. And to me, you mentioned Stadia Ventures. Working at Stadia Ventures, I saw a lot of similarities with sports, professional sports and traditional sports, <laughs> soccer, basketball, and so on. And I did that as a kid too. And for the same thing, I, I joke around a lot. Like I was never good at sports. I'm not good at video games either, so don't get your hopes up. But all of that came together. I love to do that stuff. I still play rec league soccer today, but it's something that I do because I enjoy what it brings to me. And that's community sports can be the medium for community. And just like that gaming can also be the medium for community. When we get back to let's say 2018 and I'm working at Stadia Ventures, working in early stage esports and sports venture capital, I'm seeing the same stuff, sports and esports. The industries are really similar. They both have pro level stuff. They both have amateur level stuff. They both have varsity level stuff at high school and college. But one thing that I was doing 
in sports, but didn't exist in esports, was that rec league level. Hmm. I've got a soccer team and a volleyball team. They're both rec league. They're both just at bars, essentially. Uh, they're both called the French Toasted Raviolis. Little deep cut for my St. Louis fans out there. Nice. Um, but those communities existed and the medium was sports, but there was no place for me to do that other than like pick up online gaming for esports. Yeah. Uh, so there's no place to have that structured rec. So um, that's where the idea for Mission Control came from, and we decided to build Rec League esports off that. The DLC Drop podcast is sponsored by Ice Shaker. I've been a huge fan of this brand for the past few years, ever since I met founder Chris Gronkowski. Uh, what I love about this product is the brand story, the functionality, and the customization. iShaker is a Shark Tank company invested in by Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez, owned by NFL players Rob Gronkowski and Chris Gronkowski. I love using my iShaker anytime I'm driving to the podcast studio, I'm going skateboarding, or I'm at the gym. No matter what I'm doing, it just does a great job of keeping my drinks hot or cold. The customization for iShaker is something that's super unique. You can get any name, just about any logo engraved onto your iShaker and delivered to you within just three to five business days. Get your own DLC Drop branded iShaker at iShaker.com forward slash DLC Drop. Save 20% on all iShaker products with the discount code DLC Drop. Yeah, I love these entrepreneurial stories of how a brand or a platform or a product begins a, a lot of times, I guess before I, I've had my mind opened a little more to an entrepreneurial mindset in the last couple of years. But before that, I kind of had the thought of like, boy, everything I would think of is already invented already. And, you know, entrepreneurs like yourself look at things like, okay, I'm doing this thing that nobody else is doing yet. Or, this thing is broken and it could be very different uh, or it could be better. You know, one of the points I make a lot that I think is relevant to mission control is that esports has grown backwards compared to traditional sports. In traditional sports, to your point with rec leagues, you and I start, let's say, some sort of sport, right, in our backyard and then it grows to our friends and the community and then the county, the state, national, maybe global right? And so through that, you have everything from youth and local up to pro because it started at youth and local and has grown to pro. Well, esports has grown backwards because once it caught fire globally, you had this professional level, but you did not yet have the geographically located levels. You didn't have a really strong presence with youth. There's definitely not that pipeline from youth to pro, but Specifically to mission control, the other thing it's missing, which is so important, is that amateur rec league level, kind of that collegiate level of, I've done this forever, I'm not going to be pro, but I want to continue doing that, whether that's at a high level or my skill level, which <laughs> personally I'm with you, it's a lot lower than <laughs> high. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's it, when it comes down to it, I think you, you, you 
summed it up perfectly. Esports has grown backwards and we're kind of that final piece. There's a lot of really cool things happening out there. And I love the startups that are out in the esports space and they all can be successful in their own way. And I don't think any of them are necessarily doing like anything wrong. What I do think is that we add a necessary and exciting layer to the bottom of the pyramid that's got a massive market and has a lot of connection to people who might say, hey, I'm not a gamer, but I do play games with my friends. And you're like, oh, wait a second. That's exactly what we're trying to capture with recreational esports. So if you're trying to game and it's a medium to your community, the real end goal is just to spend time with people uh, and gaming is the medium, then hey, mission control, that's that's what we're after. And uh, that's where you can you can find that community game with. That's awesome. You know, I think um, a lot of people who are trying to figure out esports, it's it's very confusing to them. The structure is very different as far as like an org having multiple teams and then where do you play? You just play online. Oh, wait, now there's these locally geographic teams. It's very confusing. And I think that one of the unlocks that really helps people wrap their head around esports, and you and I were talking about this last night on the phone, is that esports, which is competitive gaming, is actually more community over competition. And that might sound funny because I my definition of esports is competitive video games with enough following and infrastructure to have teams and leagues. And esports is actually a microcosm of broader gaming, but gaming and esports is very quickly becoming the golf course of millennials and Gen Z, meaning, hey, where are we going to hang out? Where are we going to discuss a business deal? Where are we going to get to know each other? And so you guys have really championed community, but you've also enabled colleges, parks and rec departments, and brands to understand how to leverage community and engage the skeptical audience. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And I think the first, I, I've got two things here. The first thing I'd probably helpful to directly say how mission control works and what we are. Uh, and then second thing is why, you know, the belief, what it's based on top of. So first off, what are, what are we? Mission control's purpose is to gather and grow community. Obviously, that's what I'm excited about when I'm talking about rec league soccer and being bad at it, but also gaming and being bad at it. What I care about is the community side. Mm-hmm. How we do that is through recreational esports because we think we add a very vital and important element and service to the community by saying, hey, join this recreational structure events around gaming but what we actually are is a community building platform and you see a couple community building platforms in the esports space already out there like let's say discord who uses a forum style and audio chat and let's even say twitch or youtube streaming who uses streaming as the medium for community for us it's the same thing we're community building platform too we just use structured recreational play so rec leagues that you can join and uh you know recreational tournaments or other events that you can join in your communities as the medium for that community building platform so we work with you've mentioned tons of colleges and their intramural departments tons of parks and rec and their recreation departments they do soccer and now they also do fifa they do basketball uh they also do rocket league and then lastly we work with multiple brands. Um, And I'd love to dive into that later. But the biggest thing I want to get to here, which my second point is, where does this all stem from? And for me, this stems from a belief that the future of esports is more about community than competition. Yeah, esports inherently is playing games. But the playing of games, once you structure it, 
is is now the esports. It's just like playing catch in the backyard with baseball. That's that's playing a game, but as soon as you structure it, it becomes a sport, the sport of baseball. Sure. And for us, I think the competition part is awesome. And that, that's really important for those upper three tiers. Yeah. But the biggest thing to develop right now is the community, the recreational side, the largest tier at the bottom of the pyramid. Uh, and I think that's more about community than competition. Yeah. What I'm taking away from the word community and the way that you so eloquently described it is it removes the intimidation factor. You know, I really love playing Street Fighter, for example. Spoiler alert. I'm not great at Street Fighter. So if I was, whether I'm on a college campus or I'm a kid in a parks and rec department or I'm interacting with a brand or I just want to find community online, someone like myself could be very intimidated. Like, I don't want to get embarrassed. I don't want to get my butt kicked. You know, what are people going to think about me that I'm, you know, at this level? But first of all, you're you're basically welcoming people in and meeting them at the level that they're at, right? And I think that that that's not just a mass audience, but that's that's very welcoming for people who are looking to get connected. Right. And and if your goal like if your goal is to be the absolute best, rise to the top of the pyramid, like, you know, in sports, it's like go to the flipping Olympics or win the World Series. Like it's go all the way and go hard and work hard. And that's awesome. And I cheer that on and the pro esports players that are out there, like, like they're impressive. They're doing that and that exists. Mm-hmm. but there's a lot of people who are just like, yeah, I like that, you know, dopamine hit of winning. I love to be the champion, but I'm not, I'm not in this to try and be the best in the world. And that's okay. You sure. know? And, and then it's like, okay, where, where do you do that? And that's where micro like communities come in on our platform. A user can go on and join their local parks and rec or uh, their their college, if they're a student or uh, multiple other communities that are on our platform, brands and so on, and just join their community. And when, what you can do is be the champion of that community. You don't have to flex and be the best in the world, but you can't actually get a t-shirt and say, listen, I'm, I'm the Xfinity city series champion of Pittsburgh. I am the best Fortnite player in Pittsburgh. I got a cool PS five for it. And you know, yes, it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things because it's just Pittsburgh, but man, that was fun. I got to play with my buddy and we got to do some real competition. And, you know, that's the end of the day. And like, I'm not trying to be pro, but Hey, that was a cool weekend activity. Um, and great yeah. to spend with my friends. Well, I would also say it may not mean a lot in the grand scheme of like global esports, but it means the world to that person who's repping their city or is at the top of their community. You know, I think that throughout our lives, we can look back at, especially when we were kids and like when I was the best at something in my class, like I was, I was never a sprinter, but I could, I could run long distance. So, but I, so I would win our, we had these jogathons where you're, you're running for 30 minutes and you raise money per lap or whatever. It's a little <laughs> fundraiser. And so I won actually every single one of those from kindergarten to sixth grade. Uh, you know, impressive, John. Thank you. I'm looking for a little kudos, obviously there, but, um, I felt like I was the king of the world when I got that trophy and guess what? I was part of a class that had like 30 kids in it, right? right. <laughs> it didn't matter that I wasn't at the Olympics. I felt like I won the Olympics. And I think this is what you are enabling in these communities. And so um, we can we can look at you know people in communities from a global level and think, oh, this isn't a big deal. But to that individual, and that's how brands win, right? When a brand really empowers somebody, enables them 
to do what they couldn't do without that brand. I'm preaching this all the time, and I know you're a big believer in it. This is a lot of what mission control is empowering for brands. Yeah, absolutely. So as I, as I mentioned before, we have like three main cup customer groups. We're working with college intramural departments, parks and parks and rec departments, both private uh, and public. So the actual government entities and like YMCA's, Boys and Girls Clubs, so on. And then we also work with brands and the brand application that you're referencing to is really interesting. For example, right now we're working with Comcast and in their Northeast division, five different cities, we're hosting the Xfinity City Series where we can each month we'll be like being able to like point someone out as the champion of that city in a new game. We're doing Fortnite, Rocket League and Smash. Mm -hmm. And each month in five different cities, we're going to be able to like choose a champion. And the goal here is more than anything is just do give something that's exciting to engage with and that a user could come back to four times, five times in a month and actually engage directly with this activity, engaging directly with the Xfinity brand. And they don't have to do anything fancy. It's not a, like a big old, you know, sponsor behind a pro event, which, you know, yeah. those eyeballs are helpful, but this is something that like Xfinity is delivering to the community, esports community and those five brand and those five cities. And that's, that's flipping cool. They're appointing yeah. champions. <laughs> Yeah, I really want to dig into that a little bit more because, you know, as I look at esports, I kind of label it very broadly at a high level as youth marketing. And so essentially, the reason why there has been this rise in esports, specifically in the United States in the last five, six years, has been that brands and agencies are looking to reach youth, right? So they're looking around and they're saying, okay, viewership of traditional uh, television is declining participation of traditional sports is declining. What is everybody doing? Well, they're playing video games, right? And so they figure out first, it's very difficult to integrate into non-competitive video games. Uh, I always compare like Red Dead Redemption 2. When I was at GameStop, that was the number two game behind Call of Duty that year, almost beat Call of Duty that year. But it's like, how are you a modern brand, let's say Xfinity, right? Uh, you're in tech and internet and all these things. How are you going to interact in an old Western video game organically? You're not, right? So then they see esports and they see these headlines and say, oh my gosh, it's a billion dollar industry and there's 500 million people you know, across the world who are fans or players, whatever the number is today. And they say, I recognize all these familiar sponsorable assets, all these places that are ripe for logo placement. But then they realize it's a very skeptical community and what they've done in traditional sports where they generate a ton of awareness from the professional level, like we saw in the NFL playoffs this, this weekend, we saw all of these commercials, is this community requires that you enable and enhance their experiences, not just the pro level. And so one of the things that I'm so excited about Mission Control is you are providing the opportunity for brands to directly engage the audience who is their end customer and who is their target audience rather than saying, let me go support the pro level and hope that trickles down. This is a direct connect for brands is what I'm hearing. Yeah. And, and that's exactly one of our biggest unique deliverables is that we can say, okay, instead of maybe hosting a, you know, one-off tournament that, you know, your, your name's on the back of, or just, you know, putting a sponsorable asset behind stuff. And that's, that's cool. Like th there's value in that. 
But what we can offer is 365 you engaging with your community and building a community on a platform that is built specifically for building communities of gamers. Yeah. And specifically using that recreational structure as an engagement tool. So, it, I mean, just think about it with this, with this Comcast, you know, uh, partnership that we have is that in five different cities, they're building five different communities of all the gamers in those cities. And every month they're able to join a new activity that they can possibly be crowned the champion of, and they come back to play five different games. Cool. That's five engagements a month. And then they, they do the next one and then the next one. And along the way, I have to, like, I'm got to be like straight up. The prize at the end is cool, but it's not too cool, right? We're not trying to get, you know, pros in every single tournament. What we're trying to do is make it possible for everybody in that city to actually win the prize. But there's only one big prize at the end. We also have tons of little prizes scattered throughout, which includes sign-up bonuses for just people who just plain old sign up and then neighborhood champions who win like their neighborhood tournament before going to the city tournament and so on. So there's just a lot of cool opportunities to engage with the brand where you do it multiple times and you have some winning opportunities along the way. You're just engaging with your neighborhood, with your city, with your community. And it just happens to be put together by a really cool brand that you might grow to appreciate because they're putting something together for you. That's really cool using control i love that and i love the putting my brand hat on is essentially the repeated engagement over time i know one of the challenges at gamestop when we were trying to bring in partners to support a title release is we're promoting this for two weeks and then we go into the next one and a brand just simply cannot allocate a lot of dollars if you have a launch and leave or it's a one-off and also we know that it takes Do you know how many times it takes for somebody to recognize your brand? I think it's up to like 13 times or something. I remember when I was in college, it was like seven. And now it's like 13 times just to recognize you or something like that. So repeatedly over time, you're empowering their experiences and then, or enhancing their experiences, I should say. And then also you have the retargeting opportunities, right? Because you're able to, of course, you know, understand who that consumer is directly and then continue to not just reward them with things, but to retarget them for your actual, your company's actual services and products. Yeah, exactly. One of the best examples for this is another one of our brand customers is Cinemark. They've been with us for uh, over six months now and and their goal, I mean, (laughs) what they're interested in is entertainment and obviously what you know Cinemark for is movies. Um, So how does gaming come in? Well, gaming is another form of entertainment and there's a lot of people who like both of these entertainment mediums. Good point. Um, Their interest is in simply finding the people who are interested in both and connecting them so that eventually they can honestly just, you know, sell more movie tickets. Yeah. Most like directly, like that's, that's the biggest thing. Well, if you can find this, you know, community of gamers that we started in June and then we've run special events every month. Some have to do with movies. Some are just straight up Cinemark stuff. Uh, and they're really cool. I mean, we did something with free guy. We did something with ghostbusters. We did something with Spider-Man. Each one of those has continued to grow that community. And then we have the old people also 
joining each month so that each one is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And now they have a really cool list of like this large community that's interested in gaming and esports. And now every time they have a new movie release, if they want to utilize that that avenue, they have a entire community. It's like, oh, I like gaming. I like movies. And this is a cool title coming up. And this is a really great activation that I can join in on. And it's snowballs. You know, it's yeah. just it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, also, there's a there's a really strong cross crossover with the different types of entertainment, specifically movies and video games. You have all these uh, this video game IP that are becoming movies because everybody's a gamer. And now it's not like that niche audience that's going to come. It's everybody wants to see the movie and they have the special effects, the CGI, everything to make it look good. The other thing is you're having it come back the other way. For example, I was watching some YouTube videos with my six-year-old son, Johnny, just last week. And up came a trailer for Lego Star Wars video game. And they've, it, it's incredible what they've done with that game that's going to come out. And I won't get into that. But my son is now a huge fan of Star Wars, having never seen a Star Wars movie, because he loves Legos and video games. And so that then becomes an engagement opportunity for someone like Cinemark, who, how else would they have reached a six and a half year old boy. Right, right. I mean, if they host an event that's essentially a Lego Star Wars event, and then there's another Star Wars release at some point in the future, suddenly they have a lot of people who are like, ah, I can connect the dots to that being interesting. Right. Uh, and what's interesting to that is that Cinemark is also offering a lot of value to the studios that there's that are their customers. True. Right? Uh, that, so it's, it's some really cool new ways to engage a community is providing them value and part of the value that the esports community is looking for from you know a user myself and the founder of something that i'm really passionate about is i'm interested in recreational esports i want to hang out with my community that cares about similar things and does fun things that i care about by doing something recreationally and what's the community building platform to do that and that's where you know mission control comes from I love that. Well, I, I want to pivot in just a moment to entrepreneurship and the VC world and your experience in that. But before we go there, can you give the audience some wisdom with your experience of how a sponsorship is effective in esports? We've touched on it a little bit, but anything that you would uh, be very specific with where people could follow that roadmap and um, find some success? That's an, it's a very interesting question. And, and I think it's also like, I have a very different perspective on this than somebody who might be on the pro side, you know, sure. on the pro side or the influencer side, you're, you're looking for, you know, maybe eyeballs or clicks or something like that. For us, it, it's really about engagement. It's about, you know, Cinemark is the best example. They started in June, they host, you know, an event every month. It's the growth of the total community size and then how many people are coming back for each event each time are they keeping them engaged are they continuing to offer them value so there's that level and then because we have you know we know who's in that community it's about the conversion to their end goal as well so Mm -hmm. selling tickets and when they're able to see that conversion straight from you know paid social to our community to engagement to movie tickets sold yeah i mean that's that's like we can you know you can you can color the picture from when you work with us and use us as the medium for getting your tickets sold 
and you are advertising, you know, on paid social, you have the number all the way through, you know, exactly, you know, you, if you want to apply that to 300 million people, you know, the number you need to put, to just throw it through that pipeline. And that's yeah. pretty dang cool. So in general, as a sense in kind of leaning to the entrepreneurial business side of stuff is if you can color the picture, you know, with math, <laughs> you know, use a, use a Excel and, and make a pretty picture with that, then I think it makes the argument for sponsorship just so much more direct sponsorship, partnership, customers, whatever it is for, for your business. I mean, it's coloring the picture with math saying, yeah, this is where I can see it offering you your end value. I Cinemark's a great example and because we've talked about it, but it, it goes for every different customer that we've worked with is like, okay, what's your end goal? And can we yeah. deliver that value for you? I honestly think that's something that's really overlooked in esports. Um, you know, our industry, especially on the team side, the league side, it's all had a lot of shine, you know, and it's like, hey, we're the cool kids in the space. You need me uh, more than I need you, what have you. And what we've realized over the last, you know, handful of years is, okay, these sponsors are coming in and then they very quickly realize, wait a minute, I'm not getting any data from my partners. I'm not getting the level of execution that I would, that I've experienced like with traditional sports or other initiatives in other industries. And so rather than thinking it's all about me and what can I accomplish, what can they do for me? You really need to talk with that brand, say, what are you trying to accomplish? Making sure that you are setting expectations as well that you are going to fulfill. And then I think the biggest thing that you mentioned too is that measurement, you know, providing data back this, even if it's underperforming at first, hey, this is what your dollars are doing. If, if if a brand knows what their dollars are doing, then they can make decisions. If it's a data black hole, they're not going to spend or they're just going to pull that money and take it somewhere where they can measure those dollars. Yeah, I think it's, it's a great perspective. I think the one thing I want to add on to that, though, is the struggle that, you know, we have and that the industry has as a whole and that mm-hmm. it's it's new, right? Sure. There's not that much data that goes back and it's, you know, you have to do it multiple times to like find something out. Anytime you do anything, I mean, you gotta, you know, you, you make mistakes, you have to like self-correct for those mistakes and then you move forward. Right. And sometimes like the data is, you know, it, it could be really ugly. Right. Sure. But at the same time, you know, after months of working on Cinemark, we're, you know, we're seeing data that we're really excited about. Yeah. Um, and, and it's saying like, okay, okay, we're getting a hang of this. And I think that's one of the biggest things on the brand side is that like respect, you know, respectfully to the, the um, pro side and also at our side, it's new <laughs> and we need time to be able to find what works a and yeah you know, have rich enough data to turn it around and show where the value is B. And that's on all parties involved. That's on, you know, mission control. That's on the, you know, pro sponsorable assets to kind of work out. Um, but it's also on brands because to like lean in and, and commit because it's not going to happen right away. And you have to kind of get through the point where you can get to the accurate data that it's possible. And I, I don't think anybody can look at the gaming industry and see, you know, two thirds of the U S population playing games and say, okay, you know, this isn't going to work out. Where's the data, right? Right. It's more about how can we actually get to doing it right? And that's where I think I get really excited is that, you know, mission control, we can show some clear data, you know, step one, two, three, four to your end goal. Uh, 
And it's just a matter of making sure, hey, how can we make sure that those steps one, two, and three three line up to step four properly so that you're getting your end thing? It takes some time sometimes, yeah. but I'm confident in the entire industry's ability to pull it off and for you know the industry to continue to grow it in impressive rate. Yeah, and that's an added benefit to what we were talking about earlier with like what you're doing with Comcast is yeah, it's a benefit to be able to re-engage that community multiple times because so it's more effective, but it also gives you multiple chances to number one, have more time in the game to get that data, but number two, to also be able to pivot. If you're doing a one-off, regardless of you're working with mission control, a pro team, an influencer, whatever, if you sponsor one thing one time, the community won't respond to that, number one, but you're also not going to have that data that's going to enable you to pivot and figure this thing out. It is very new, like you said. And so you do have to have that willingness that if I get in and I'm a little bit flexible and I'm, we're both going to really work together, you have a better chance of finding success. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I give major props to the brands who have just absolutely like leaned into it. And, and the ones that we've worked with have been awesome. And, and, and it's that commitment to it. Say, hey, we're going to build out something here. That's really cool. I mean, Cinemark, Comcast, GameStop in the past, Hollister in the past, those brands are exactly the ones that are like, hey, we're going to lean into this and make it work. And when they do that, they see the return. It takes some time sometimes, but it's something that like, if you're committing to get gaming and esports as a strategy, you know, it can be a treasure, tro- treasure trove. Awesome. So I want to pivot a little bit here to the entrepreneurial side of things. And this is where I really <laughs> want to give some uh, direct uh, value to the audience based on your experience, both inside and outside of mission control. You, uh, you know, a lot of people are looking for funding Nowadays, there's more startups than ever, which is amazing. Um, I talk to a lot of people all the time who are saying, John, can you connect me with somebody uh, to discuss investment? I'm talking to investors who are saying, hey, I'm looking for you know quality startups. We briefly mentioned your time at State Adventures earlier where you're really running those co- cohorts, which is where we first met. Now you've also been on the startup side where you've sought, sought some funding. Um, so share where your mind goes with that and uh, what you've learned through both sides of that VC world. Yeah. So at Stadia, I was a venture associate. So what I did is I, I essentially fueled the pipeline. I found all the companies that could potentially be invested in, put them all together. And then I, I got them to apply to Stadia or to, to, you know, consider our investments. So I spent, you know, every day talking to new startups, working through the pipeline, going, going to cool events and just finding the companies that could potentially uh, be involved in the Stadia Accelerator, get our investment and be a part of our cohort. Um, after Stadia started my own company. And then I was the company that, you know, some, someone like Stadia, me at Stadia Venture Associates would reach out to. Yeah. So I was on the exact other side of the table. Um, so it was really cool for me to be able to talk to hundreds, if not thousands of entrepreneurs and see how they interacted with me on the venture capital side um, and then turn around and be that person. So I was got to yeah. see like, you know, <laughs> thousand different ways to do it and, you know, choose my own way to do it. And, you know, it, 
even with that, you know, I've made plenty of mistakes. I mean, sure. one of the things that uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs learn along the way is that, you know, you make your first time, you're going to make a ton of mistakes because there's just so much to learn and so much that you are single-handedly responsible for as, as a founder, yeah. uh, even when you have co-founders. Right. And, and in that respect, like, you know, you're going to make mistakes and that's, that's okay. We made mistakes, plenty of them. Um, even though I had tons of perspective from all those, uh, entrepreneurs before me and, and that's okay. You kind of have to blast through it because yeah. that's, that's how you learn. And then honestly, the second time is so much more valuable. Um, you're, you will be so much more valuable. So once I started, um, mission control with uh, my co-founder, Byron Abrig, who also was at Stadia, um, we, um, basically focused on, okay, let's, build something to just show what we're working on. Um, and I think I'll get into a couple of different like tips here. Um, one is just a do projects hmm. B. Um, what do you mean by you know, do projects by the way? Yeah. 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 So, and, and I can dive into it to it all here. A is do projects. And this is basically your first time through something, you're going to ha make a lot of mistakes. So the more projects that you can do to just learn random things, mm. you will be more successful when you need to put it all together to build something big. So what I mean by do projects at the lowest end, start an Instagram handle and make it a brand. You know, for me, I love St. Louis buildings, right? So I can just start an Instagram that's St. Louis buildings and just find out how to grow that following, mm. make it your passion for a month or two. And then, Hey, maybe continue doing it. Cause you love to do it or you're bored and then you're done. Right. Yeah. You're not, you're not a quitter. doesn't matter. Guess what you just learned how to do grow a following. You just, you learned the intricacies of Instagram, which I still don't know. Cause I don't use Instagram, but like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I mean by doing a project. Now it also might mean, building a website on Squarespace or finding out how to collaborate with a, a you know, a com computer engineer or yeah. whatever that project guides you to, right. Yeah. It might be MailChimp. It might be a CRM. It, like if whatever these projects could be, whether you're working for somebody else or just trying to have fun by yourself, just doing something to learn and then being okay with moving on from it is so powerful because you know what I did in, in high in, in high school, I learned how to build an organization and put a structure through like a silly business club. Mm. I say silly, it was pretty cool. <laughs> but then in college, I learned how to utilize MailChimp and Squarespace yeah. and my first internship. And then at Stadia, I learned how to utilize CRMs and do marketing campaigns. And then, you know what I did <laughs> once I got to building a startup, I learned how to put I, I used my skills of putting organizations together, MailChimp, brand building, Squarespace, yeah. CRMs, and smashed it all together. And because I had done all those projects before, I was much more advanced yeah. with all of those things than I would have just tried to do it all the first time. I want to, first of all, I love that idea. I've never heard of that or thought of it. Maybe I you know, live in a cave somewhere, or maybe this is a, you know, an innovative in idea. Austin, an Austin original. An Austin original. But what's so cool about this is, you know, one of the things that is so intimidating about starting your own business is, you know, you know, maybe I'm going to fail. Maybe I'm going to lose all my money. I have to leave my full-time job. Essentially, what you're doing with these projects is you're lowering the barrier to gaining experience. And you're also setting expectations there, right? Because if your expectation is not, I'm going to start a viable business at first. But if you're saying, 
I want to learn how to grow an Instagram following, for example, you don't need to make money at it. Now, maybe you end up making money at it and that's fantastic, but I love that uh, very specific setting of expectations and empowering yourself to gain experience to then do further down the road what you are not capable of doing today. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you put it all together. And when you finally get to that startup where you're like, okay, I am quitting my job and going all in, right? Like, oh, (laughs) that's scary. But hey, I also, at least I know how to do all these things. And also I can whip it up in a day. And I know that I spent two months on learning each of these things before, right? Yeah, there's a big difference in I want to do this thing and I'm not sure if I can do it or I've never done it before. And I want to do this thing and I've done it before. I'm just going to lean in full force now. Yeah. And this is the exact reference to me saying you're going to make mistakes your first time as an entrepreneur. Being like this entrepreneurial endeavor itself is a project. And the second time I do it, I will be that much more efficient and better at it. Right. And to that, like to that point, like, so are all the little things that go in, went into it the first time. And so that's why like to the entrepreneurs or people who want to be entrepreneurs out there. Yeah. Don't sit and wait for the day for you to become an entrepreneur and go all in. Just decide today, I'm going to start being entrepreneurial and learning something new. Start just making an Instagram following, build a Shopify page and sell a cool hat that you have somebody on Fiverr design for you. Literally put 50 bucks into something and just check it out. Projects are really cool ways to learn. And hey, maybe that one project you put, you know, two months into is trash and doesn't matter. Sure. Right? But the education you got from it does and it will come back and, and pay its dividends in, you know, somewhere later in your career or life or whatever. I think so many people are just restricted by a fear of failure. And I, I keep going back to this setting of expectations that's popped in my mind based on what you're sharing. And, you know, when you, when you set those expectations, like the Shopify page, there's a big difference between, I want to start a clothing company. Spoiler alert, everybody has tried to start a t-shirt company, literally every single person. And some of them succeed, most of them fail. But if, if I was to today say, oh, I'm going to start, you know, DLC apparel, for example, right? If I start that to become a millionaire and for that to uh, support all of my costs, uh, low level of the chance of success, I would say. But if I'm saying I'm going to do this and I'm worth investing X amount, which I can afford, and my goal is to learn so that I can, number one, figure out how to do this. Also, I'm going to learn, do I want to do this or not? Like I've experienced some stuff where I was like, I really want to do this one thing. And then I did it. And I was like, that sucks. Back up, you know? Um, So yeah, I just, just super great advice there. Love that. Yeah. So do projects. That's, it's just a lot of, a lot of value that can come from it. And especially when you fail, because why'd you fail? Whatever that reason is, you learned a crap ton right there. Yep. So one way to not do something, you know, the second thing that I was leaning into is like, is, is, you know, do some stuff that doesn't scale. I think that's something that, you know, comes big from Reed Hoffman and his masters of scale podcasts, but doing stuff that doesn't scale is just how you prove stuff out. The first version Hmm. of mission control was a Squarespace website with a Google Docs backend mm-hmm. where we were just organizing some friends rec leagues 
of esports just so that we could see what would happen. And then we even sold it to three customers, colleges, and we're like, hey, we want to run esports rec leagues for you. And then when they finally got to it, we were just texting people and running the leagues off of Excel, right? Yeah. And what we pr- were able to prove was like, hey, this is interesting. So then we went and got 60 names put together of other colleges that would be interested in it. And then we raised money. Why? Because we were able to use something that doesn't scale us texting people personally and using Excel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what a That's joke. the definition of doesn't scale. Yeah. I agree. Right. The definition of doesn't scale, which by the way, just like shout out to my co-founder, Byron Abrick, that man is a machine and he scales, but even with him, He's got a human limit compared to software. And does he really uh, need to sleep though? I mean, do we need to talk to Byron about this? I'm not going to, I'm not sure Byron does sleep. He is a machine. (laughs) Um, So, uh, but regardless, we were able to prove that generally users want to do this. Colleges are interested in this, have actually used it. Three of them have, and there's 60 on a waiting list. Right. And so let's go build a software. So we raised the money to go do that. And then we were able to use that to build a software and get even more people on board. We actually did um, a pilot with GameStop and that was a really cool brand experience. And then we got uh, our seed. We raised our seed round off of that. So it's like those incremental steps of uh, some of my investors like to say incremental steps of viability and, and validity. Like that's, that's what, how you prove each step of the way. And, and for you, this goes into my third point is you should always be planning for what your next like round or need is from the venture capital perspective, not the one you're going at now. Like, you know, I'm at, you know, we're at seed stage. We don't care. We're not directly focused on a, we're actually focused on B, right? So right. the seed round is to build us to a, so that we can raise the a funds to get to B. Mm-hmm. Right. So we need to be focused two steps ahead. So when you're first starting a company, you need to find out what is the amount of capital that I need in order to eventually pr- impress somebody enough to raise a seed round. So you get your pre-seed round and then your seed round or whatever works for your style. Right. So when we raise our pre-seed round, we needed to calculate how much money do we need in our seed round to get to a level where we can impress the a round investors to give us that money so it's always two steps ahead and that's my last thing here is basically when you're building those things that don't scale um at some point you know as you get bigger you have to build things that scale Uh, but you need to only focus on getting to that step you know two steps ahead where you can impress somebody enough to get to that capital in the door you don't have to build the entire thing on the front side so that, that goes back to very first starting, it being Squarespace and Google Docs, because all we had to do is prove that colleges or communities were all interested in what we were thinking. Uh, once we did that, we were able to get that step. And then it's okay, on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. So what I'm hearing from you is look ahead, but don't look ahead so far that you're overly intimidated as to how am I going to build a platform that will support rec league esports for brands like Comcast and Cinemark. Because probably if that's where you started, you would say, we can't do that with my Google spreadsheet and my (laughs) iPhone 7, you know? But let me, just devil's advocate really quick is, how do you take that jump from doing stuff that doesn't scale to making it scale? To me, it it all goes with, that simple 
like rule of just making sure you're two steps ahead. Mm. Um, we're raising, you know, we raised our seed round when we were raising our seed round. What I needed to do is find out what do we need to get to our a round, right? That's, yeah. that was that that's what we considered. So when you're in venture capital and you're specifically focused on like easily scalable tech startups. So this is like very focused there, which is a lot of startups, but it is focused. It's not a, applied to every business. Yeah. The A rounds, we had to go learn what, what does an A round look for, right? So typically mm-hmm. for us, we're a software as a service startup or B2B. We're selling to other, you know, we're selling to other communities that want to host, you know, esports rec leagues. We went to A investors and asked, what do you want us to look like in order to get money from you? Which mm, is the best thing point. to ask, by the way. Like, just go out. Like, what are you looking for? What's going to impress you? You're not you know, saying, them, can I have money? You're saying, how can you, wh- where do I need to be to get money from you? Right. And keep yeah. in mind, I'm talking to the A people before I've even raised the seed round, which is before that, right? So I'm, right. I skipped a level and I'm saying, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Look, now answer, let me go build that. Yeah. Well, the answer to them, like quite literally is like a million dollars in annual recurring revenue, right? That's the A market these days, right? If you have that, you know, we're impressed enough to give you, you know, X million dollars to continue to grow towards B. Right. Right. And so before our seed round, we're like, okay, right now, you know, we were off the, we were off the, you know, Google docs and, and, and Squarespace by that point, but imagine us still being on it and saying, okay, what do we need to do to make this possibly give us a million dollars a year right? to impress that A investor? And that's, that's what we answered. You know, like, okay, well, I need to hire X software engineers and I need this amount of time in order to build up the sales force to get to that level. So when I multiply the needs of you know, salary times the time that I think I need multiplied by a big number of how much extra time I'm going to give myself in case we mess up. Yeah. That's the number I need to raise and seed. Makes sense. It's, I mean, it's, it, to me, it's, it's as simple as that. The math is just like, okay, I need this amount of people and this amount of time and this amount of expenses mm-hmm. to get to a point where I can impress the A round people. And therefore, I'm going to tell the seed round that this is how much money I need. And then you go out and get it. Perfect. Makes perfect sense. The last piece I'd love to get your take on before we round out this episode that I think is also very important to startups is how to build that advisory board. I've had the opportunity to get to know a number of your advisors, some fantastic people. And, you know, when you're starting your own business, there's so much you don't know, but you can round out those knowledge gaps, you can make those connections, you can build your network through a strategic board of advisors. What should uh, startups be looking for when they're uh, looking to form that board? I think there's there's two things that I love about this. One is, I mean, you can learn a lot from people who have like, you know, dedicated their career to a very specific subset of your needs. And, you know, even after this call, I'm talking to the, to the great Mike Chudy, uh, about, you know, sales. Shout out Austin, Texas. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, and he's, you know, he's going to help me out thinking through some sales strategy updates. Right. And he's just somebody that he's an advisor that I can call and he's, he's just an expert in, in that area. And it's super helpful. Um, so we made a very intentional choice to have a lot of advisors because it's our first time through as a startup and we are young, we don't know a ton of things and we know that we are going to need to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. And we formalized it 
specifically and call a lot of these people advisors, both on, we have a brain trust, which is just a lot of just experts in different areas. And then we have our strategic advisors, which are more relevant to the industry or our business model and stuff like that. And we specifically formalized it because we were like, we believe in just compensation and, and aligning incentives. I mean, it's that, that simple. A, I want people to be paid for their time. And even if we didn't give them like much compensation, whether, you know, it's cash or a tiny slice of equity or whatever it is. Um, I want people to be compensated for that. And secondarily, we're both, Byron and I are both uh, econ <laughs> majors. And, and for oh, us, it's like, it's so simple if incentives are aligned. Hey, you know, here's a little piece of the pie and you're going to help us out. And when I want to talk to you on the random Thursday, it's not just being nice. It's, it's, you know, Technically, if we do well, you make money off of this. And right. not that everything has to be compensated for. Not our advisors didn't necessarily ask for this stuff. We just told them, hey, you're, you're part of the team and this is we're going to compensate you for this and we appreciate your time. The second thing about this is just diversity in every single way. You know, you want diversity of background, of age, of experience, race, gender, um, professional careers, everything. Because when you are able to cross the board on all of these different perspectives, um, you're going to get a lot of feedback. And and when you need something, someone will be able to provide it. Um, you know, I need a contact into, you know, um, whatever it is, you know, branding at Under Armour (laughs) or just, somebody who's super popular in the city of Pittsburgh, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, like I can just toss it out. And because we have such a diverse group, um, the answers come. So I think that's uh, super powerful. And I encourage anybody, especially a first time building a startup to have a rather large and um, a compensated uh, advisory board. So what I'm hearing for you is large advisory board. And there's uh, kind of two groups of people there. There's a group that is, less involved, I would say, maybe broader knowledge. And then you're going to have some people that are more strategic there, which is a smaller group of people. And you would compensate the two groups of people a little bit differently based on the value that they're adding to the business and the ask that you have from them. Is that right? Right. I would call that that strategic group, the industry-related group, very typical in terms of advisor compensation. We use the FAST agreement. You can just type FAST agreement into Google and cool. it'll pop up. It's a, you know, it's a legal document. It also outlines what's fair at different stages of the, uh, of your business cycle and different levels of value of advisors. And then it tells you literally the amount of equity to give them based on industry standards, right? Like it's really cool. And then you can negotiate from there. Sure. But like, yeah. That's the agreement to use. The other one, what we call our brain trust, and yes, is a little bit more general advisory stuff, but it's mainly a lot of people that we would call anyways because they're like our mentors. Sure. That's the thing that's a little bit more atypical where we're like, hey, we're just going to compensate these people anyways, formalize a, you know, in a way to speak with these people. And there are advisors too. So yeah, we have a lot of advisors because of that. But uh, given it's our first time, we're really young and we really want to learn as much as possible. We know we're going to be calling our mentors for help what's a better way to do it? I love that. Well, I, I really appreciate your time for this episode. You've added so much knowledge on specific, you know, broad esports engagement, um, deeply how, you know, mission control works, how it adds value to brands, parks and rec departments, 
and colleges. And then also this whole piece of the entrepreneurial side, startup life. A lot of people are going to learn a lot from that. So uh, to finalize this wonderful episode with you, uh, how can people follow you? How can people get in touch with you in the ways that you would like them to? Definitely. If you're interested in Mission Control, you can check out missioncontrol.gg or at playmcgg on pretty much any um, social following. Uh, We'd love for people to follow us, our page on LinkedIn, so Mission Control GG. Um, And then if you're looking for me, um, if you're a brand who's excited to engage with your community using esports like we talked about here today, or you're just interested in uh, mission control or my journey or anything like that, you can uh, follow me on social media platforms at Austin Miles Smith. Uh, that's one S there. Or you can reach out to me via email, Austin at missioncontrol.gg. Um, would uh, love to talk to anybody who's excited about gathering and growing community like we do at Mission Control using recreational esports. And John, um, really appreciate the, the time to, to come on today and have the opportunity to discuss uh, Mission Control and my journey. My pleasure. It's always great to talk to you. And it's fun to have one of these conversations recorded. And I look forward to the next conversation in person in Dallas, hopefully soon. Bet. Great. Well, with that, uh, definitely follow Mission Control. Definitely get in touch with Austin if you want to figure out how to build esports community Austin Smith, thank you so much for joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review.